0: Hey everyone, Sam Ovens here. And in today's video, I want to talk to you about the true cost of communication. And this is a you know, this is a topic that I'm really interested in right now because with my company consulting.com, we grew pretty quickly over the past 2 years and we got up to the point where we had almost 50 people. We had 40 something uh, employees. And What I had noticed is that, you know, somehow, some way, we were going a bit slower, or we were actually going considerably slower with more people than we were with less. And this, I couldn't really get my head around it. I was like, what, if we used to have, you know, less people, and we were paying them less money because there was less of them, then how are we doing better then than we are now? Because we have got more people working. So surely more people working means we should be getting you know, more work done. And that wasn't the case. And so this really fascinated me and I dug into it and I've really been researching a lot over the past six months and I've made some pretty radical changes to my company as well. And so I just want to walk you through what I've found, what my findings are. And how I used to run my company in the structure, and then what the problem was that occurred with that structure, and then how I've rectified that problem and what my plans are for the future. And my hopes in doing this is that you, as an entrepreneur or somebody that's starting a business and becoming an entrepreneur, when you go to hire people and form a team, you know, you don't make the same mistake. So let's jump right into it. So let's make this real simple. You know, if you're just one person working on a project, well, you're just one person and there's zero lines of communication, right? But then as soon as you've got two people, there's one line of communication because you need to talk to this person. That person might need to talk to you. There's one line. And then as soon as we've got three people, there's three lines because this person might need to talk to that person and so on but this is where it gets interesting as soon as we add in four people we get six lines five we get 10 6 we get 15 7 21 8 28 9 36 10 45 and by the time we get up to 14 people there's 91 lines of communication so this is quite interesting because you know when we're at 1 there's 0 2 there's 1 3 there's 3 And so everything's kind of good up until three, and then we start to get more lines here, and it gets exponential. And what really goes on here is, this is what happens with teams and companies. You know, the more people you add to the team, it's simple at first, and communication is relatively easy. But the more people you add in, the more the exponential... um, the more communication lines there are, and it grows exponentially. So it's not linear. And this is what kills most companies is they can't tame this thing and it blows up. And how this really happens is, you know, there's a formula that you can use. So if n is people, and so if we take people and then multiply it by people minus one, and then divide it by two, we will get the total number of lines in between the number of people, right? So here's a formula you can use to figure out, figure out exactly how many lines of communication there will be with any number of people in a group or a team. And what I did is I plotted this out in a Google Sheet. And you can see what I did here. I, I plotted the number of people, then I figured out the, the number of lines using that uh, formula, which I just showed you. And you can see it growing up here. And then the total number of hours they work. So, you know, I assumed, let's just say these people are going to work 50 hours per week each, right? Now, the communication hours, because this is total hours that they're at the office, but communication hours, how many of those 50 hours are spent communicating? Well, when there's just one person by themselves, there's zero. Two, there's one. And I basically just used the number of uh, lines as the number of... uh, communication hours but I think I yeah I at 90 percent now obviously this could be different but I'm just using this to to make a simple illustration and then we've got our net hours so the total hours the people put in less communication hours equals net hours and net hours is basically the number of hours that are spent working and doing things versus just talking to people because talking isn't really doing, and doing isn't talking, and so these are, this is the output, net hours, and then the efficiency, so how many net hours as like a percentage of total hours, that's the efficiency, and then what the total cost is, and so if I've got, if these people who are working 50 hours per week are paid roughly 100 grand per year, then 450 uh, for the total cost of them for one week would be roughly that much money 2000 and then the cost per net hour so if we've got one person paid 100 grand a year then per week they're getting paid 1923 and then if their communication hours are zero and their net hours are 50 and they're at 100 percent efficiency then the cost per net hour is 38 right But look what starts to happen as we add more people to the team. So at two people, we're at 98% efficiency and our cost per net hour has gone up by like two. And then by the time we get to three people, we're at 95% efficiency and our cost per net hour has gone up a lot. And then by the time we get down to like, by the time we get, there's a real steep drop off pretty much right at the number five mark. So at five people on a team, we're at 82% efficiency. But as soon as we go to six, we drop quite a lot. And then we drop again rapidly, and then it starts going really rapidly down. And by the time we're at 11 people on a team, we're at 0% efficiency, and we don't even have any net hours. And at 10 people on a team, we're at 18% efficiency. And we've got a cost per net hour of $2,000. And this is actually what happens at companies. And they don't really understand how this works. And to see it plotted on a chart, to show you how this works, is here across this x-axis, we have number of people, right? What most people think is that, you know, if we just add an additional person, then we should be able to get twice as much work done. Or if a project is moving at, you know, at a certain rate, if we add another person to the team, then it should move at twice the rate. That's what people think. But that isn't what work, that isn't what happens. And so here we can see this red line is the linear increase in the number of people. But then here this blue line, this is the number of communication lines. And it grows exponentially in relationship to a linear addition of people. And what you really have to watch out for isn't the number of people, but the number of connections between the people. Because this is where the inefficiency happens and the communication happens. And this is really where all of the cost gets absorbed. And so net hours, as we add more people, goes down. This is the green one. So you can see, as we add more people, communication lines increase, and net hours goes down. And then the yellow line, we can see efficiency, right? And so we start going down with this as well. And so this is what happens when you add more people to a team, your total number of uh, lines, communication lines goes up exponentially, your efficiency goes down the toilet, and the net hours that is spent building things goes down. And this is basically how companies blow up. And this is what I started to experience with consulting.com. I'll give you a perfect example. So in our uh, engineering team, as we added, you know, when we had one person working, we were moving pretty quick and then we added more people to the team and then we started going slower. And I couldn't really understand why. I was like, what, we added more people to the team. How are we going slower? This doesn't make any sense. But then I started to look closer at what was happening. And, you know, when you, when you add more people to a team, they have to be brought up to speed the person who has to bring them up to speed is the person who was productively working. So now that person who was working has to stop and teach this other person how to work. And then if that other person they're teaching how to work eventually learns how to work and then starts working, then if they're not as talented as that first person or as productive as that first person, then all of that was just for waste because now you've distracted your productive person and you've taken everyone off the work, Just to teach someone else how to do it who isn't gonna be able to do it as efficiently as the first person. And you're paying twice as much money. And now these two people have to communicate and you can see what happens very quickly. It turns into a mess. And this is what happened at my company within some of the teams, they got inefficient. But then also what I noticed is that the teams started to interact with other teams and that all got inefficient. And I'm sure you'll probably notice this at a company when people start saying oh we have communication problems and look we need everyone needs to communicate better you know these are signs that you have this problem going on in your business and it's not really that people should just be communicating better the truth is it's just damn impossible to get everybody on the same page once you've got more than about 15 people it's impossible Everyone would spend their entire day just telling each other what they're doing and what they're planning on doing and what they're thinking about doing and everyone would just be talking the whole time, 15 of them, and still no one would be on the same page. So it's stupid. And communication is totally inefficient and this is how most companies die because their exponential cost in communication ends up crippling them because they're spending more money, wasting more time and delivering less work. So that's the problem. And you're probably thinking well what do you do about it? And what the way to really fix this problem is with something called information architecture. And IA information architecture. This is what I've spent a lot of my time digging into over the past 6 months. And there's really three main components to information architecture you've got your people your context and your content and so people are like the talent the people you've got on your team the individual people and then how those individuals come together to form different teams and how those different teams come together to form the overall organization structure and then the physical environment that those teams sit in and work in each day so your office whether it's open plan or whether it's private or virtual or whatever. And then you've got context, which is like the business vision, mission, goals, and KPIs. So when you've got some people working, then they need some context. Like, what are we trying to do here? What, what's the goal? What's, what are we measuring, right? They need to have these. You, they need to know like what they're actually trying to achieve. And then once they understand what they're trying to achieve, and they know what team they're in and how the whole company is structured, then they start needing content. They need specific pieces of information and feedback so that they can optimize their inputs to better achieve this KPI. And you know, content can come from communication, like asking someone else, data, looking at a report, or asking someone to pull a report, and feedback, feedback from other people, customers, teams, financials, things like that. And really one of the best things a CEO can do or an entrepreneur can do is engineer this properly. So how do we best how do we best engineer the communication lines and the structure and the architecture between people, context and content? It's a very difficult problem, but it is so extremely important and what i'm going to do right now is just walk you through each one of these three people context content and tell you what i've learned from my experience so far and you know i'm sure this will help you a lot so with context you want to start with context everything must start here if you don't start here you don't even know what people you should have on your team and you don't even know what content those people need to achieve this context, right? So it starts with context. Everything starts here. And really, if we look at it from its first principles, the first thing you want to do is identify, like, what problem are you solving? Because really, at its core, a business is a sol- produces solutions to a problem. Who has problems? People. So for who? Who are the people we're helping? what is their problem? Define that. And then what is the future you aim to create? You know, it should be in the short, medium, long term, to what degree are you going to have solved this problem? And what is the future going to look like with that problem solved? What is the future you're creating? What's your company's vision and mission? And then what principles underpin your philosophy? What philosophy do you have in the people who are going to be on your company have in order to care about this, want to solve this problem for these people, and build this future, right? Very important. And a philosophy is a belief system built from components of principles. So you need your principles, like ten five to ten of these. Together this forms the philosophy. This philosophy cares about solving this problem for this person, and building this future. And then... What's your Polaris star metric? This is like your true north, your guiding star. Like, what is it? Is it growth and is it engagement? Is it revenue? Like, what is that metric? And what are your company and team's KPIs, key performance indicators? So, overall, how are you going to measure the performance of your company as a whole? And then, how are you going to measure the performance of the individual teams and the individuals the people on those teams how are you going to measure all of these different dimensions of the system and you want to start here and really think clearly about this first and you want to define these things and you want to write them down and if you want more help thinking about this stuff here if you go to the consulting.com blog you go to resources i actually created a good video on this the other week called tools to plan for the new year and in here i if you scroll down these resources i show you how to set your vision mission and principles i give you examples and then i uh also show you like our principles vision and mission at consulting.com and i also share some other tools with you to help you you know form this first part of the equation, the context. And I'll put a link beneath this video in the resources section to that particular post that I did a few weeks ago so you can find it and that'll help you flesh out the rest of this. Now let's talk about people. So people are a company's greatest asset and talented people are 10 times better than average people. You know, we've got this we've got this kind of belief that someone who's really good and really smart is only just a little bit better than someone who's average. It's not true. The difference between an A and a B, not in school, I'm talking about like an A player and a B player in real life, is exponential. It's 10 times it might be more, it might be 50 times. And I'm not joking, someone who's very smart is worth 50 average people when in a company. And you, you have to learn this. You can't have any one average in your company because that, there's just no way it can work with mediocrity because A's hire A's and B's hire C's. So if you have B's, they're going to hire C's. And if you've got C's, they're probably going to hire D's. And if you've got D's, well, you're screwed. Actually, if you've got B's, then you're screwed because they're going to eventually turn into an entire workforce of D's. And so... Not only are talented people about 10 times better, but if you have a person who's the equivalent of 10 in one, then you also save on your communication costs. Because remember that we don't want to add more people to the team. We should do everything we can to not add people to the team. So then if we want to leverage our output, then we want to leverage talent. Because talent gives us 10 times the people in one individual person. And it's better to have two smart people than 20 average people. And it's better to have two people working 60-hour weeks than four people working 40-hour weeks. This is another thing. Because, you know, if you just have people working short amounts of time, but you have more people to make up for that, then you've got more people, communication costs. It's better to have a smaller group of people working harder that is more efficient because remember the main thing is the communication costs and the ultimate would be having extremely talented people on small teams working hard that is the best that's how you like that's how you add a force multiplier upon a force multiplier upon a force multiplier and that's how you make like a lot of progress and throughput happen and when it comes to structuring teams, small teams work best. Three to five people max. Don't go more than that. If you need to have more than that, then break them out into two individual teams. Seriously, you cannot go more than three to five people on a team because it comes back to this, remember? As soon as you get to three to five, efficiency, you're you're at, at four, you're at, you're at 89, and then at five, you're at 82. And so you don't want to go six because you're dropping right down. It's best to actually stay three to four at max five. And you also want to have no people managers. So never, ever, ever hire people that just manage people. You only want to hire doers. And so you're probably thinking, well, who manages then? Well, you get the best doer on the team to double as a team lead. So let's say you've got a team of four people, that team needs a leader. One of the doers, the best doer, would be the team lead. They're not a manager, they just manage the small team as well. You see, as soon as you go up to more people, like a 10-person team, now you need a full-time manager because there's so much management to do, they can't possibly do any work. So now you've got a body on your team that doesn't do anything, they just manage. And so, and they're also not very good at managing because all they do is manage and they don't do. So you get royally screwed. But if you keep it to three to five, then you can have everyone doing and everyone managing best. And then your org structure, this is like your org chart, it should be decentralized and flat. And every team should have a lot of autonomy and independent decision-making ability. And you are probably, if you're thinking, what does decentralized and autonomy mean? Well, here's a good way to think about it. So a lot of companies, when they're starting off, they have a centralized kind of structure. So there might be the CEO or the, the founder in the middle, and then they might hire a bunch of contractors around the side, or maybe a couple of employees, and everything has to route through this one person. And this works great when you first start. But then as soon as you add a few more nodes to this thing, it just blows up. And you're in the middle of it. And really what you want to do is you want to use distributed or decentralized. And really you want to start, if you've been here, you want to go here. And here you want to break out all the different kind of, you want to partition your company into its different functions. So like, might be, customer support and then it might be a particular product and then it might be uh, there might be a sales team and then there might be marketing right and you want to break it out into its different pieces and then you want to appoint someone in there as the team lead and then you now you've taken everything routing through one person and you've broken it out like this So now all of these people on this marketing team can just go to the marketing team lead. Instead of everyone on the marketing team having to go to you and then everyone on the support team going to you, they just go to their team leads. And then when you need some information or if the team lead needs something, they can come back to you, right? And this is what you want to move to. And some more thoughts on this, you know, when it comes to people in teams open plan offices are a really bad idea and i know this because i had one of them and this is this was our office in new york and you can see it's kind of like the it looks cool looks pretty lots of open plan people looking like you know here's ret talking to someone here and it looks like really nice and friendly and open plan nice computers and things, but it's terrible because it's just, there's distractions. You know, if, if someone's focused working on something here and then someone starts a conversation over here, this person's gonna hear it and now they're distracted and thinking about that. And then whatever happens in here, if one person starts talking about something, it basically takes everybody offline. And so it's very hard to focus and people hear things that they shouldn't. And there's also very low barriers to people talking to other people. Because you don't have to get up or walk around somewhere. You can just say something. So this is a really bad idea to have open plan offices. And I know this is kind of controversial because pretty much every company and startup these days, it's, it's fashion. It's the trend. Oh, let's make everything nice and open plan. And this was kind of the layout of my office back in New York. We had some desks, 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 and then kind of like a a couch area and a kitchen area. And then we had one meeting room and then a private office here. And this kind of worked okay, but it, it really didn't. And you're probably thinking, well, if we don't use open plan like this, then what do we do? And I've thought about this a lot because since I've moved to LA over in California now, I'm looking at our next office and I'm really thinking how am I best going to structure it and how can I structure it so that everyone is as efficient as possible and they don't get distracted but at the same time there needs to be communication and what I thought is I really need to build a hybrid a hybrid of private and open and so I pretty much call this project the human collider project And what it looks like is you just got to imagine it like this. So you walk in here, there's only one entrance, one exit. So everyone must route through this one place. And then there's a reception. And then you have a cafeteria here. And why a cafeteria is important is because, you know, I really watched how much time people spend going out and getting lunch. It's huge. And they don't necessarily like going out and getting lunch because it involves walking, and then it involves waiting in a long line because everybody goes and gets lunch at the same time. And then it involves spending their own money for something that might not even be very good and not good for their health, and then they gotta walk back. And so I thought, well, you know, at our next office, I'm definitely gonna have a cafeteria and make sure we have catered lunch every single day so that people can eat healthily, they don't have to spend their own money And they don't have to waste time waiting in lines. I can't believe all businesses don't do this, seriously. If you just watch how much, like, look at how much money you pay for, like, talented uh, talented people on your team. And look at how much time they waste waiting in line. Now, they don't want to be waiting in line. That's not a good use of time. So, and then they have to spend their own money for food that isn't good for them. So it's all waste whereas if you do it like this it's much more efficient and it's better for everybody and so i thought there's going to be one entrance the reception cafeteria where everyone can eat lunch and then conference rooms are going to be in the middle all glass so that you know you want to limit the use of meeting rooms because meetings are inefficient i hate meetings and i want to make sure that if anyone's ever having a meeting in my company Everybody can see them. So the cafeteria, every single person in the office, and the reception and everyone. So you're fully there. And so it makes you think twice about using a conference room because meetings are a huge waste of time. And that's why I put them here. And then what I've done is I'm thinking of partitioning out four main areas. So there would actually be a wall here, wall here, wall here, wall here and so when you walk through you have to go past and this is how you'd get into one part then you get into another part here and another part here and another part here and why I wanted to break it out like that is because there's just some parts of the company that never really need to talk to other parts and so it's kind of silly to put them together you want to put in the same compartment here you want to put like teams that have symbiosis with each other like teams that have a symbiotic nature should be close so if two teams let's say there's four teams in this special uh partition here and this team and this team have a lot of symbiosis and same with all of these together then these should all be in one partition and then if this if this one partition has most synergy with this other partition then they should be close to each other, but still separate. So it's all about getting each dimension of this right. You know, how do you configure the desks? How do you configure the the islands of desks and the and their structure, and then the different partitions, and then the conference rooms and things, and the cafeteria. And you might be thinking, well, if you sp- if you split out these different teams and they're behind different walls, then they're not going to mix with each other and that might cause silos. And that's true. That might happen. And so my way of combating that is to make everyone route through a central entrance. So everyone has to come through here. Everyone has to go out through here. If you want to have a conference room, you've got to use one of these. And you have, everybody has lunch here. So people have people work away in their little teams, but then they come together at these different times. And that's like why it's a human collider, because you're kind of colliding everyone in the middle, and then when they don't need to be collided, you, you partition them back. And then there's another dimension of, of this as well. And you can see there's a lot of these PO things, like what the hell are these little PO things? Well, they're private offices. And so this is something no one does these days. Everyone does open plan offices like, like this. And, you know, a lot of companies and startups, they look like this on the left here. But what I want to do with this new office, and I honestly think this is going to be a lot more productive, is teams are supposed to work out in the open plan areas, right? That's where everyone has an assigned desk out in the open plan. And by default, you're supposed to be working in these open plan areas. However, we also have a lot of private offices. Basically, enough private offices for 70% of the people in the entire company. So that means if there's 100 people in the company, there's 70 private offices because I don't think ever there needs to be more than 70 percent of the of the company focused solely on one task at one moment in time so that handles that now why people went away from private offices is because they were worried about silos and people not communicating right but now that we have these open offices the problem is everyone there's too much damn communication all right it's just like social media and all this crap like Social media was great because a lot of people weren't communicating very often, but now there's too much communication, and so it's productive to delete your social media. Same sort of stuff is going on with this whole private office, uh, open office thing. And so teams will have an assigned desk here, and when they need to focus, they will just go into one of these private offices, and no one will distract them when they're in there. And they might work in there for, you know, two days and then come back and start sitting back out here with their team. It's basically like when you need to be focused and executing and in the zone, you leave your workstation, you go to a private office, you close the door, and that's where you work. But when you are done with that kind of sprint or project or whatever, you come back to your main workstation. And so this is like a hybrid approach we get the openness and we also get the focus and the distraction free. And then we partition the teams like that too. So the teams are separated from each other, but we route everyone through one place and they meet here for lunch and meetings and things like that. So this is what I'm planning for our next office. And I came up with this kind of idea from one, having this problem at this workplace and two really looking at centralized and decentralized and distributed systems and how they are best structured and partitioned you know you don't when you're sitting at an open plan office you don't need to hear something about a department that has nothing to do with you hearing that piece of information distracted you from your task and it's completely useless And there's nothing worse than distractions, because not only is the person who's distracting the other person distracting them, now you've got two people not doing any work, but now if you're in an open plan office, the whole office, all 10, all 20 people aren't doing any work. So one little trigger can set off an avalanche of distraction. And so this is why it's important to partition things, and this is why I've come up with this design. Now let's talk about the third component of this, and that's content. So what I've learned about, you know, information, people, and communication, transparency removes the need for communication. You know, a lot of the time when you're communicating with someone, you're asking them a question because you need a piece of information from them that you cannot get without asking them. So if people share different things and make them public with other members in your company, then, they don't need to ask you for it. They can just get it. And let me give you a perfect example. So my calendar that shows what I'm doing every day and my warm app and everything, I share it with people in my company. So they don't need to ask like, oh, hey, what are you you working on at the moment? They know, so they don't have to ask me. And then everyone in our company has access to all of our financials and sales data and tracking and attribution data basically everyone has access to everything except for a few sensitive things because you don't want everyone to have access to absolutely everything uh because it is one isn't necessary and two it can cause some issues but most companies kind of hide a lot of information and so the employees are constantly in the dark and then they try to use communication to get out of the dark and now they're not working because they're communicating and they can't get that piece of information anyway because it's hidden. And so they're all communicating with each other, trying to achieve an endless goal. And you want to make things transparent. You know, instead of having an open office, just make open information. Like share your calendar, share your financial data and stuff with your employees instead of bloody making everyone sit in an open area most companies have adopted the open plan office but they still are not open with information and this is mindless and then interrupting somebody is not okay you need to set standards in your company that you know you're not if if someone interrupts someone that's not okay especially if that person is you know someone that really needs to work on a particular project and get it done And I'll give you a prime example of this. Once someone in my company who worked on our support team, they don't anymore, partly because of this, they they were receiving an email uh, from a customer and the customers would say, hey, I don't wanna be on this email list anymore, can you please unsubscribe me? And so what this customer support person did is they went behind through Slack without asking anyone and started messaging our, one of our engineers who was building product, and then was getting the engineer to unsubscribe people from this list. And I asked one of the, our engineers, hey, what are you doing? What have you been working on? And he said he was spending most of his time unsubscribing people from a damn list. So here we have someone who's highly paid, one of the highest paid people in the company, who's working on one of the most crucial, most important projects in the entire company. And he's not doing anything of value. He's just unsubscribing people from a list. And that was assigned to him from a customer support rep. And when I traced it back and I looked at the email that the customer support rep was getting our engineer to unsubscribe people from, it had an unsubscribe link at the bottom. So all that support rep had to do was just reply back to that person and say, just click the link. But no, they had taken one of the most crucial components of our company offline and that's a perfect example of this you cannot have that happen you shouldn't have customer support making your engineers tell like unsubscribe people from a list you shouldn't have that sort of shit going on and i can tell you that most companies have this stuff go it's like a vicious disease that's just just ripping through their company And you've got to make sure that people... There's basically walls and barriers. Like different people aren't allowed to talk to other people. And different teams aren't allowed to talk to other teams. And if they are caught doing it, they're warned. If they do it again, they're gone. Because there is nothing more costly than interruptions in communication. And communication must have rules and protocols so that kind of goes back to interrupting somebody's not okay or if you need to get a piece of information from somebody else you go to your team lead and that team lead will tell the other team lead right and then that team lead will get it for you and bring it back what you don't do is go over to another team and interrupt all of them and ask for something so it needs to have rules and everybody doesn't need to be on the same page you know i hear this all the time oh, but we need to know what's going on, or I need to know what's going on here, or hey, why did you make that decision, Sam? You didn't tell me you were going to do that. And it got to a point where I was like, look, calm the hell down. If I had to tell all of you what I'm going to do and what I'm thinking about doing all the damn time, then I wouldn't do anything. And you guys can just adapt. Like, if I do something and you see that I've done it, adapt. Like, you don't need to have everyone on the same page all the time. And thinking you need to is just going to end you up dead. You won't be able to innovate fast enough, move fast enough, you're dead. And so you need to make sure that teams can make decisions and act without informing others. And that it's okay. And you don't have to have everyone on the same page. You know, different departments don't even need to know what's going on in other departments. The same way you can run your business without watching the news. And that's a perfect example. You know, When I was a kid, I was told, oh, you need to watch the news, Sam. I never watch the news, it's bullshit. And I run my company quite fine without knowing what the hell's going on with the government. And so that's absolutely fine. Same way different departments in your company can run their departments without knowing on, without knowing what's going on in other departments or what's going on on the news or the government, right? It's just not important. You don't need to know. And then teams must adhere to and report to a single source of truth. And what I mean by this is, you need to agree on some KPIs and some metrics, and you also need to agree on how you're going to calculate those KPIs and those metrics. For example, we have like a Facebook media buyer and we have someone who buys ads on uh, YouTube And we also send out emails and we also have people who refer friends. Sometimes we have affiliates. We also do some SEO. We've got a bunch of different ways customers can buy from us. Now, when it comes to figuring out, hey, where did this customer come from? There's lots of different ways someone could do that. They could look in Google Analytics. They could look in um, Facebook or YouTube and they might be like, no, 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 this thing says that I have it. No, this one says I have it, right? Big chaos. So we must adhere to a single source of truth. And we agree on what that is. So we actually have like an attribution system and the the actual arguments for that algorithm are expressed explicitly. And the person who conducts that, he does an audit, our data scientist said, he does an audit at 10 a.m. every day on the previous day's sales and checks through every single attribution And our algorithm assigns most of them, but then if there's some that aren't assigned, then he will go through and manually check them. And every single sale is personally checked by the same person at the same time using the same rules. And then that person assigns what the official attribution is, and then that's the single source of truth that our media buyers use for completing their reports and figuring out what their ROI is on their respective channels. Now, that kind of sounds complicated, and it really is. It's a real royal pain in the ass, and don't worry about it. You won't need to build anything like that that's that damn complicated, but that's just an example, right? And then teams must adhere to standardized language, concepts, and systems, and what I mean by this is, you know, if you're talking about different things in your company or different products, you should have standardized language for that. Like a customer is defined as this, or a lead is this, right? Sometimes people are talking about leads, prospects, customers, and you don't even know what the hell people are talking about. And also, what's the difference between revenue or cash or accounts receivable? You know, what's a write-off? Like all of the different things and actions and metrics and numbers and objects that are in your company, you want to make sure that you come up with a standardized language, and this is important because if people start saying different things, and that that means that people get confused. And if you think this is one of those small little things that isn't really important, well, Elon Musk got an email from someone at his company, and they used an acronym. You know, they took a they took a four letter phrase, and they turned it into a. F- they took a four word phrase and turned it into a four-letter acronym, and when Elon Musk saw that acronym in that email, he sent out a broadcast saying, this is not okay, never, ever, ever use acronyms, and the only acronyms that are approved are these, and he made a list, a master list of acronyms, with what it actually means, and he said "If if anyone in this company ever wants to use an acronym, you must get written approval from me, and I will add it to our master list of acronyms. Now, you might be thinking this is pretty crazy. Why would would a CEO like Elon Musk, who's building Rockets, care about an acronym? Because it's that important. If you think about it, if someone hears an acronym in a meeting, and then that acronym is repeated throughout the company, and it gets adopted, and then new employees come in and hear it, and they think something else, well, now you're going to have people hearing the same thing, and perceiving it in two radically different ways and that's how you end up with a catastrophe it's so important that you have standardized language standardized concepts and standardized systems and a single source of truth and a way of measuring everything and that you partition your teams out and you know all of this all of these intricacies that I've been talking about content office structures and layouts All of this stuff here, people, context, it is so important because all of this is how every component of your system, and when I say system, I mean your business. You know, a business is really like a system, and within it, there's components, there's machines, there's information transfers, there's humans, there's customers, there's all of these different components. How do they all come together and connect and operate to form a whole and that is pretty much one of the most important things in all of business because if you get this right then you should get everything else right and it's something no entrepreneurs talk about when I listen to entrepreneurs they're mostly talking about marketing or like how to get more likes or something but this is really important stuff and as you grow, hire people and form a team, remember that communication is a cost. It's something that you should avoid doing because it is a cost. Now, I'm not saying that you leave people in the dark and then they can't do their job because no one told them what to do. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you need to re-engineer your company so that they know what to do without being told all the damn time. And it's your job as the entrepreneur to architect the structure of everything. And as you grow, always revisit the structure of your company to ensure it remains efficient. So that's it for today's video. I just thought I'd share what I've been thinking about a lot recently. And that is how to best engineer these things. And I hope this helps you on your journey, especially as you start hiring a team and trying to orchestrate all of this. Because it's one challenge to get started and get your first customer. And it's another whole challenge to deal with this. And this one's harder than getting your first customer. But this is when you master this one, this is what really enables your business to fly and start scaling. And it's something that not enough people talk about. So if you enjoyed this video, Just click that like button and let me know what you thought in the comments section. Was all of this clear to you? Was this valuable? Did it help? Do you have any questions? Just give me some feedback. And thanks for watching. I'll see you in the next one next week.